All right, <laughs> back to this. So, uh, this week's parsha is Parshas Vayeshev. Okay, Parshas Vayeshev. So, before we begin the parsha, there, there's a story brought down about a woman, a uh, very sincere, very sincere lady, who uh, would, you know, uh, try it as much as she could to come to shul, but just happened to make it only Parshas Vayeshev uh, every year. And whenever the Balkori would, would read from the Parsha about, about uh, the story of Yosef, so she would start crying about the chutzpah, the brothers, and, you know, how could brothers treat their son? Fine. Next year she comes back to shul. Same thing. Same thing. The reading, you know, she doesn't realize it's the same Parsha. But, again, the Balkori is reading about Joseph and the brothers selling him. And, uh, and she's like, why are they still picking on this kid? Like, what's, you know, <laughs> what's going on? By the third year, she shows up. She's like, you know what? He should have learned his lesson. Why? I don't know why he's not staying away from these brothers. Like, what's, uh, you know, what's, uh, so that's the, the uh, little joke that they say. So, if Yaakov was dwelling in the land that his fathers dwelled in, Eretz Canaan, which was, which is the land of Canaan. Ela told us Yaakov. These are the offspring of Yaakov. Yosef, we're going to focus on Yosef. He's going to be the, we'll call it the star of our Parsha. Uh, this was my father's uh, week that he was born, which is why his name was Yosef. He's named after Yosef Atzadik in the Parsha. Yosef, little tidbit. Yosef ben Shvas Reishana Hayaraya Es Yosef was 17 years old and um, he would shepherd with his brothers, Vuhunar, and he was young. Now, the commentators are all, you know, uh, bothered by, you already told us his age, 17. So why are you calling him a nar? So we'll get into this. We use this expression also when, about narish. You ever the expression Yiddish? narishkeit? It's narish. It's from this word. It's nar. It's a young. It's a narish thing. It's a very young thing to do. It's a very you know. It's like a, there's like a little lack of uh, of uh, life experience. It comes from this the, this word. But who nar? He was he was he was a nar. He was young. As bnei bilab, as bnei zopa, and aviv. He was a young man. With the sons of Billa and Zopa, who we'll call Yaakov's kind of secondary wives, right? Vayave Yosef as the Basamra el and Yosef would bring the Basamra some negative information about the brothers el to their father. Okay, so let's begin. Let's go through these first two verses, these first two psukim. So our parsha begins by telling us that, Yosef, that Yaakov wanted to dwell in the land of Canaan. Dwelling is an interesting expression. So Rashi points out that at this point of his life, Yaakov thought his tsarists were over. Yaakov thought, listen, I've gone through Esav. I've gone through Dina. I've gone through Lavan. I've put in my time. Put in my time. Time to retire. Time to retire. But Yeshev, he wanted to dwell. Yeah, he says, listen, you know, I'm in my hundreds. Shine sight. Time for a little bit, uh, you know. And Rashi tells us that's actually the introduction to the story of the Rebbeinu says, "No, no, 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 you're never done." Now the story of Yosef it hasn't even started. You don't even know what's coming. You don't even know what's coming. That's gonna put uh, put you up against the test. And interestingly, the Chida writes fascinating. That if you take the four main tsaras that Yaakov went through in his life and you count them, you'll find an interesting thing. Yosef, 
the second letter of the word Yosef is Vav. Okay? Dina, the second letter of Dina is Yud. Esav, the second letter of Esav is Sin, Shin. And Lavan, the second letter of Lavan is Vez. Vav, Yud, Shin, Vez. Vayeshev. Vayeshev. Yeah, our parsha. You take the second letter, which means there's things before these saras, and there's also going to be things that are afterwards. Meaning, you know, Yaakov had gone through things already in his life. He'd been through things, but despite what he'd been through, see, and this is what's incredible. What's incredible is, you know, we, we look in the Torah, and the Torah tells us, "Maisa of a simulabanim." Whatever our forefathers go through, and the svarim are is a, is symbolic of each of our own lives. And the svarim agadayim tell us, and we've mentioned this before, but it's such a deep and important idea which is why it's so beautiful what we deal with in life. The Swarmak Deshim tell us every incident and every name that's written in the Torah is in me. It's in you. So this story of Yosef and the brothers and the psychology of the story and what everybody was thinking in the story is in you and in me. And the names that are written in the Torah is in you and in me. I have love on in me. I have Shimon in me, I have Yosef in me, I have Maish Rabbeinu in me, I have Paro in me, I have Bilam in me, I have Avram Avinu in me. Because each of us, the Torah is made for man, for each of us, for each human, and it's meant to develop us. So there's a shtick, there's a little bit of, it's a little bit of it in us, which is like Paro, for example, it's Paro. So you know, we'll get there and say for Shemais, but Paro represents the 49 levels of impurity. What's impurity? I know there's a creator, but I never fully believe there's Hashem. There's always, a, there's always a little bit of me that's also God. I could also do stuff that Hashem's not completely included in. Why do we think like that naturally? Because that's the power inside of us. That's the way it is. It's the power inside of us. You know, Bilaam, who was the, you know, the, the, the prophet of the nations, who had the, he was a, he was a real prophet. He was able to talk to the Barnashah. He was a, very arrogant and he used his arrogance to justify why he's close to Hashem, right? To a point where also, Bezjem will focus on this when we get to Parshas Balak. But Bilam, you know, with uh, his story was, Hashem tells him, I'm letting you know something, you ain't going to be successful. It's not going to happen. You want to go curse out Jewish people? It's not happening. And Bilam starts thinking to himself, you know why it's not happening? And he, he sincerely thought this. He believed this. I'm so chashuv, I'm so important that the people who are coming to hire me, I mean, I'm a man of God. People are coming to hire me, they're just not offering me enough for salary. That's what, that's what he says. He says, God said no, but I'll tell you what, like, it, it, maybe if you treat me with more respect, you know, maybe, maybe Hashem will say yeah. Maybe Hashem will say yeah. Right? So we're going to sit here and laugh, like, Meshuggah, you're off your rocker. But to an extent, like, we could see at certain things happening to us, like, we could... Where does this psychology, like, where does it even come from? At different stages and certain places in our life, we can start thinking like this, where, we're, where we actually start playing mental gymnastics and doing cartwheels in our own mind to try to say that we're really doing the right thing when we're doing the wrong thing. But where does it come from? Because inside of us, and again, every incident that goes on and every name that's there is, is needs to be, and it's important. Why, is it, why do we need to know this? Because it lets us know when I'm thinking like this, like, yeah, it's in the terrorists, so of course. Of course, it's something I could be, I should be aware of. It's incredible psychology. So it's it's a very important concept personally. Um, when we're trying to figure out, am I looking through this bederach emes? Am I looking through things in a way um, in a way of 
of truth. Yeah, go ahead. After the Torah reading in Shul. So you lift up the Torah. And the custom is to say, This is the Torah that Hashem, you know where, you know where that verse is actually written in the Torah? It's written by the laws of a murderer. When it talks about somebody who kills and it gets into the laws of a city of refuge, right? And all those. So right, right after it says, this is the Torah you know, that Moshe gave to Klai. So what is it? What is, what's the connection? So the Bali Musa, the Musa leader, leaders tell us because the, the message actually is that it's letting us know there's not a single place that we can get ourselves to in life. We can even be a murderer. There's no place you could ever be in, in the, that exists in this world that you can't point to the Torah and say, I, I can't receive guidance from that. No matter what a person does, anything that Hashem built in, any ability Hashem built into creation, you can always t- look at this Torah right here and say, there's still a guidance that the Torah will give me no matter where I am in life, no matter what I do. We don't brush things under the rug. We're not like embarrassed about, you know, murders that take place or God forbid, uh, you know, abuse, molestation, anything. There's terrible stuff that goes on in the world. There's terrible things that happen. So what do you do? You pretend like it's not there because we don't know what to do. There's no such thing as not knowing what to do. We pick up the Torah and we say, That's it. This is the, the Torah gives us guidance in everything. In everything. And it's written specifically, purposely by a murderer for this, uh, for that, for, uh, this purpose. And that's all connected to what we're saying. That's all connected to everything that's written in the Torah. This story, getting back to Parzayish, this story of Yaakov wanting to take his time now in life, you know, he's feel, it feels like, oh, now it's going to get easy, now it's going to be, and then all of a sudden, the story of Yosef, and now the brothers, and we'll get into the psychology, why the brothers poskened him for Misa, for death as well, it all exists, and it's all in, in reality, and we have to notice this, uh, this little bit inside of us. Okay. So Vayeshev Yaakov, Yaakov dwelled. Again, okay, then what do we learn? Eilat told us, Yaakov, Yosef is 17 years old. Vuroa esatzon, and he's shepherding the sheep. Vuhu nar. And we called him a nar. We called him a, uh, a youth. It's a young, young guy. Okay. So the Medrash tells us that you, Yaakov and Yosef's lives were, had a lot of parallels. They had a lot of parallels. For example, the Medrash says, one was hated by his brother. Yaakov was hated by Esav. Vizeh nishtam. And Yosef was also nishtam. He was also hated by his brothers. Yaakov had to, you know, had a real issue with his brother attempting to kill him. They didn't just hate him. They wanted to kill Yosef. Says Wasserman, what is... The Misa of a simila bottom. He says this in Kavitz Mamarim. He says, so everything that exists is inside of us, right? Every, again, even the thought processes are inside of us. So how does this parallel between Yaakov and Yosef, who ended up being the tzaddikim of the hour. Yaakov was the tzaddik opposite Esau, and he had to put up with this. Esau's the tzaddik, Yosef was the tzaddik in this story opposite the brothers, Okay? For this specific portion, the brothers, again, they were our shvatim, we probably come from them. They're our forefathers, they were tzaddikim, gemurim, incredible tzaddikim. But the Torah writes this story in a way where Yosef's coming out mostly on the righteous end. We'll see there were some details in the next pasuk 
that Yosef's held accountable for. But the brothers in this story, at least, seem to be not on the positive end of their decision. So says Rabbi Hanan Wasserman that whatever happened to Yaakov with Esau and Lavan and Yosef and with the brothers in Mitzrayim is going to exist for all centuries throughout history. And he says this is why throughout history you find that ultimately it's the best and most righteous people that society comes around to dislike. It's interesting. He says it's a fascinating thing how societies run their course. Civilizations all run their course. And the ultimate downfall of civilizations as we go through Gullus is that though is, is when those who actually have their head on straight and are attempting to do the right thing and striving to do the right thing end up being the hated ones. That's what happens. He says, this is, he says if you ever find this in your society in Gullus, don't be shocked. It's this story. It's this story. Yosef was the tzaddik. Nobody liked him. Yaakov was the tzaddik. People didn't like him. He says, Shekin, huh? Anti-Semitism. Whatever it is, yeah, anything. Really you even righteous, say, you, or righteous or hated, or you could even call it sanity, right? Now, things that when that when you were younger and when I was younger, we would think it's just common sense. Now you could be your mashuga for thinking like that. You're nut. But what's your problem? Really? You thought like that? Was what was wrong with the society you grew up in, right? We're smarter now. That's exactly what's happened. Right? Okay, whatever whatever it is. Okay, so whatever it is. But you should know in 20 years, in 20 years, what people are thinking now is going to be Meshuggah. It's going to be nuts. That's just the way it is. Because again, if you don't have an objective compass, it's just going to be dependent on society. That's a reality. It's, 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 uh, it's just completely dependent on society. And therefore, those who are trying to stay the course ultimately don't end up being in the uh, being in the liked position. Okay. We call Yosef in this Pasuk Anar. We call him young. He's youth. Okay. In what way is he a nar? So um, Rashi says he would do things that were narish, things that were young. He was he was concerned about his looks, he would look in the mirror and take care of his hair. And the, um, the Medrash says, Shu naris. He would do things that young people do. Sefrek the the Gareba, he says, Why is the Medrash picking on this idea that Yosef at 17 years old is like, Nar, he's young, that means he's doing something, he's like kind of into his externals, right? Into the externals things. He says, You know, by Avram Avinu, it's, um, it says, When Yaakov, when Avram was with Yitzchak, we call Yitzchak a nar. Now Yitzchak was 37 years old. So the Imre Yemes is asking an interesting question. He says, you know, you're bothered, Rashi, and the Medrash, quoting the Medrash, you're bothered why you're calling Yosef at his age a nar, and therefore you have to come up with a reason. You come up with a reason why he's called young. Must be he was doing young things. He says, if Yitzchak at 37 is called young, why is it bothering you that Yosef, when he, maybe it just means that he's young. Maybe that's all it is. Why do you got to read anything, uh, <laughs> anything deeper into this? So he says that, um, he says an interesting idea. Since Yitzchak was with Avram at the age of 37, every parent always considers their child a child. And therefore, no matter what age you are, you're a nar. 
it's not surprising to us that at age 37, we're calling Yitzchak young. Why? Because he's with Avram Avinu. Who's older? Who's, who's older? Yeah, Avram older. Into his hundreds now, because he was 100 when Yitzchak was born, so now he's 137. Okay? And what, when a child's with a, a parent, no matter how old that parent is, you're considered an R. But when Yosef was, was not listed with his father... So now we need to come up with a reason, says the Mariyama. So when I saw this, I said, you know, it's such a fascinating uh, halachic concept over here. There's not just a nice idea, it's a halachic concept. When, when somebody passes away, so the family recites with a minion, Kaddish Yosem, orphans Kaddish, orphans Kaddish. So it's interesting. My father, Tzachon Levracha, pointed this out to me when I was learning with him. You have somebody who's 130 years old. 130, we bless people to live to 120. You could live longer. It's possible to physically live longer than 120. Person's 130 years old. Okay, let's say they have a child that's 110. Do they recite orphans Kaddish yeah. when their parent passes away? Answer is yeah. Absolutely. You're an orphan? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you get 110 <laughs> years together. It's pretty spectacular. The answer is no. There's no... A child is always a child. A child is always a child. And therefore, no matter what age we're at, you're called a yasum. And my father pointed this out to me, but when the verse in the Torah says, Ger yasum that a person should not harass with words. You have to be careful how you speak to a ger, a yasum, an amana, a convert, a person who's, who's an orphan, or a person who's widowed. Rashi says, it's not literal. It's not literal, like... Rashi says, The Torah is speaking in usual terms, meaning these three categories of people have just lost their support system. They've just lost their network. Somebody switched nations. They moved from being non-Jewish, now you're Jewish. Very often that means you're being cut off from family. Says, says Rashi, it's the same thing when you're a Balchuva. It's the same thing when you make a decision in the world that your family doesn't have a... It's the same thing with anything. With, so Rashi says, the Torah is giving examples. An orphan doesn't mean literally an orphan, but the same way an orphan just lost a support system, Rashi is saying, you need to be concerned with the way we talk to anybody. How do you know a friend they just lost, a little fight that they're in with a sibling or a parent or a spouse or a, uh, somebody at work? You don't know what's going on in people's lives, says Rashi. And therefore, when the Torah tells us Gary what it's letting us know is stop saying hurtful words. And if the person gets insulted, and what do I say? Eh, they're just sensitive. He says, okay, very nice. But the Torah says it's not an excuse. If they're sensitive, you should have thought about it lo- longer before saying that. That's what Rashi means by, by um, not to. Uh, uh, um, the Torah is speaking in more. Uh, practical terms broader than these three categories. And this comes back to this halacha of Yosef being a nar and, Aliyah, and uh, Yitzchak also being called a nar by his father. Yes, he's 37 years old, but since he has a father there, he's a nar. He's young, he's a baby. That's what he is. He's, he's, um, he's a child. Okay. So Yosef is this nar. He's young and acting in a, in a young way. And he brings the bosom rub, interesting expression, by Yavah Yosef, Yosef brought the bosom rub, bad tidings, el to their father. Okay, he brought bad tidings to their father. 
Now, what's going on over here with him bringing bad tidings to their father? So, there's a Sefer Afika Yam, who my father would quote, I believe he's told me that Rav Kolevsky, Zechariah the Bracha, shared this with him. Uh, a few questions on this. And that is, it's an interesting expression that Yosef brought the Basim Ra. Usually it says Yosef would tell over. Vayagev, like Haggadah, to tell over. It says Yosef brought the bad behavior. It's a very interesting expression at the end of Pasuk Beis. He brought their bad behavior. Secondly, it says, who did he bring their bad behavior to? El Avihem. He brought it to their father. Yaakov is his father. And just say, Yaakov told over what they're both doing to his father. Mm-hmm. Right? Why do you say he's sailing it over to, uh, to their father? Okay? And a third question is, that um, okay. The third question that Fikiyam asked is why we're calling him a nar. Why we're calling him young? All right. So we gave an answer to that, but he's going to give a the Fikiyam's going to give an additional answer. So he answers like this. He says a beautiful, beautiful concept in the laws of Lashon Hara. He says like this, he says, one of the reasons why the Torah calls Yosef a nar, an additional reason why we're mentioning it is because when it comes to the laws of Lashon Hara, if you're going to rebuke somebody, you have to, before you tell it over to somebody else, you have to first be the one to say, you know, you're doing something wrong before you start talking to other people about it. But the only time you're obligated to tell them you're doing something wrong is if you can actually, if you're in a position for them to listen to you. So it says that Fikayam, he says that's, Another reason why the Torah calls Yosef a nar, to let us know that the reason why he came to Yaakov was because he was the nar. He was the, he was the baby in the family. He was the 11th out of 12 children. So they weren't going to listen to him. They're like, kid brother, no, go, go do jumping jacks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, go, go be a comedian. We don't need you. Right? They weren't going to listen. And therefore it calls him a nar to tell us why he came to his father, why, why he came to their father, Yaakov. The next question we had is, why does it say he brought it? He should have said he told over. Over. So when it comes to the laws of Lashon Hara, we know that you're not allowed to give over any Lashon Hara Litoeles for a productive reason, only if your das, your information, has to be completely for their benefit, and you cannot embellish any details. The word Vayuga, to tell over, seems to imply a storyline. It's telling us that Yosef brought, what does it mean he brought? He brought details. He didn't give opinions. He told Yaakov, this is what the brothers are doing. What I saw is, Dad, this is what I saw. Avram and Achai, limbs from a live animal. That was a mistake. Fine. I saw that they're hanging out with the wrong women. Also a mistake, right? But he, he brought the details. That's it. Vayave, he brought the details. And therefore, when it comes to speaking to somebody else, Lord Lashara, not let it tell, you have to, you not let it, or as we'll say in... The, in the world of Chinuch, when you're teaching your child how to ask for help, or if there's something wrong, there's a difference in telling and tattling. Mm. Right? That's the difference. difference in, you have to, the children, you understand, the difference in telling and tattling. Okay? The difference in telling and tattling is if you're tattling, it's because you're, you're, you're totally fine with that other kid getting in trouble in class. Right? But this is Adam. But if you're telling the teacher, you're telling your parent because there's somebody who's being hurt or there's something that has to be improved, you're allowed to tell, you're not allowed to tattle. It has to be for a constructive and productive reason. The moment you're not doing it for them to be helped, you're not allowed to tell it over. That's Vayave. And thirdly, um, we asked, 
Why does he go to their father? Why doesn't it say his father? It says beautiful. Because also, laws is Hara. Are you allowed to just tell your own father something? What's your own father going to do when somebody else is doing it? The reason why Yosef came to Yaakov is because Yaakov was their father, so he could do something about it. So that's why it says he brought this Nar, who was the youngest in the family, so he couldn't do anything himself, brought details. He wasn't embellishing anything. He just brought what he saw, Elavihem, to their father. Because you need these three steps in the laws of Lashon Hara before, before telling, um, before telling any, uh, over any information. Okay. Yisrael loved Yosef from all his sons. He was, Ben Zekunum literally means he was the, the child of his old age. The word Zakin means old age. It doesn't really mean old age. It's translated as old age. The root of Ziknus is, Zakin means Ze Shekana Chachma. That's what Zakin means. A person who's acquired wisdom. There are certain parts, there are certain elements of wisdom that you just need to have lived life to grasp. If you haven't lived life, you will not grasp certain concept, concepts. You're not held accountable. You just, you can't. Just you can't. Okay, we could, teenagers are the funnest people to blame things on because they think they're 50 and they think they're smart and they have wisdom. And the reason why they think so is because they just got their Yetzir Tov for the first time when they're 12 years old or 13 for a boy. And now finally they learn how to think a little bit and now when they are actually getting smarter in their eyes, since they don't have the maturity to understand, they think as they're getting smarter, everyone else is getting dumber. Okay, so that since I'm getting smarter, everyone else must be getting dumber. And therefore, I, But what's ultimately lacking is just the experience. You, have no, you don't know what you're talking about. You, don't, you, don't, you, just, you simply don't know. And when my kids say to me daily, all the time, well, you just don't trust me, right? I say, that's right. I don't trust you. And you know why I don't trust you? Like, I know, because I trust myself. I'm like, that's right, that's right. The reason why I don't trust you is because you think you're smart. If you would know, if you wouldn't trust yourself, I'm thrilled to trust you. But since you do trust yourself, I need someone to not trust <laughs> what's happening. It's got to be me. Right? It's just got to be me. But this is, this is a very normal approach. It's a very normal, it's a, it's a normal thing. But Zeshekonachachma it's telling us that Yaakov was Ben Zekudim. Yaakov saw in Yosef, even at his young age, it's not just telling us that he was a child of the old age of Yaakov. Yosef at this age, at 17 years old, already had wisdom beyond his years. And Yaakov saw what they call in some an old soul. He saw somebody who got things beyond, beyond their age. And that's what led to an Ahava that, uh, that existed, and he gave him Exinus Pasim. He gave him this, uh, this, special, uh, uh, this special woolen tunic. I'll get to a question in a second. Vayiru Echav and his brother saw, the brother saw this, and they, and they hated him for this, and they really couldn't speak to him calmly and peacefully. Now, what the brothers thought, getting a little bit in, now we don't know fully, again, we're dealing with the greatest of the great. The greatest of the great. But the, the uh, Bali Musa bring down a possible explanation for what was happening in this story. And again, why do we want to understand this? Because whatever psychology or happenstance happens in the Torah means it's happening inside of me too at various times. So the Bali Musa teaches as follows. The brothers hated Yosef 
for a very good reason. And that was their family history. Avram had Yitzchak and Yishmael. And what happened? Half the family out the door, half the family's here. Yishmael's gone, Yitzchak is going to be Zerah, he's going to be Kidli Yitzchak, Yikart Lechazar. Yitzchak is going to be the child of Avram. Yitzchak has Esav and Yaakov. What happens? Esav ends up out the door, and all the brachas go to Yaakov. Yaakov has 12 sons, and he takes a liking to Yosef. <laughs> the brothers had Nevoah, they had Ruach HaKadosh, they knew they were 12 tribes. They knew this. And that there was going to be a Kal Yisrael from 12 Shvatim. When they saw what was happening, you know what they said? Yosef is the new Esav on the block. The same way Esav was trying to earn brownie points, we'll call it, with Yitzchak. Even though Yitzchak knew, but to the eye, Esav's out there and he almost got the brachas. The brothers thought, and you could understand this a million percent, what Yosef was doing is just learning with dad, getting the special garments, being the zakein. He was smart, smart for his age. And he's the new Yosef, he's the new Esav, who's going to get close with his father, and now Klai Yisrael is going to be through one Shevet, and they're out the window. And you know what they said? This guy's Chayav Misa. He's destroying Klai Yisrael. You could, you could totally hear that from the picture. You could totally see what's happening over there. Right? Now, the Bali Musa are telling us this because at, in that time, at that moment, as great as they were, since they had this personal biases, they shouldn't have been the ones to convene a Bezdin about what to do with him. They shouldn't have been that way. That, that's what the Bali Musa tell us they were held accountable for. They weren't even held accountable for thinking like this because this made sense. But because you're the one in this picture... You can't also be the litigant, somebody who has something to lose here, and the judge. And this was a very strong source of friction that's going to exist as we go through the Parsha. It's going to exist even with Yehuda and Ruvain, right, about what to do with him. Are we completely clear this is what's happening? Right? If he's doing this, this is a problem. This is a real problem. Right? But do we know? How do we know? Do we know Yosef's intentions? We don't know Yosef's intentions. Right? They were, they were smart, they were older than him, they had more wisdom than him, they were around longer than him. So this was a very, very like, delicate dance that they were trying to figure out with, with Yosef. And when they went out to the field by Shechem to graze the sheep, they actually were there to convene to figure out what's happening back home, what's going on. And when Yosef showed up, that started the whole, uh, the whole chain of events. And once you hit the dreams, it, just, it, it probably just solidified what's happening. Like, we don't even need a psak anymore of, of uh, you know, what's taking place over here. We'll jump ahead a little bit because uh, there's, you know, I just want to continue on this, this storyline and share, share an important idea. It's interesting to note that when Yosef ultimately shows up to the brothers, so they paskin him Lamisa, they paskin him for Misa. Um, Reuven recommends they throw him into a pit. And afterwards, it's Yehuda that recommends that he gets sold to the Ishmaelim. And 
what ultimately happens to Reuven and Yehuda, interestingly, is Reuven is known as like the tzaddik for saving Yosef. And Yehuda, the Mepharshim tell us, Chazal teach us, actually was Yerid Migdulasai. After this story, they, had, they regretted all this. The brothers regretted what they did, which also is inside of us, right? Which is the clarity. You struggle through something and then we'll fall. And then afterwards you might say, hey, you look back, you're like, okay. You know, you get a little bit of clarity. Like, right, I slipped up on that one or whatever it was. The, the, the brothers removed Yehuda from his godless, from his position of leadership amongst them. Which is interesting because Reuven says, throw him in the pit. And in the pit, there were snakes and scorpions. And, oh, they didn't know that. They just threw him down into an empty, uh, an empty pit. But you, Reuven was trying to buy time. And he's kind of the tzaddik over here, the righteous decision. And, but by Yehuda, it's not. So the difference between the two is that Reuven never risked Yosef's spirituality. Mm. What happened was, he was Paskin Lamis, they were going to kill him. He says, you know what? Instead of killing him, let's take our time on this so we can take a step back and t- relook, you know that. He says, let's throw, let's throw him into the pit. Suffolk, we don't know what's going to be in that pit. We don't know, but hopefully he'll be okay. He never put Yosef into a spiritual predicament. While Yehuda, on a very deeper level, when they sold him to Yishma'ilim, they were, on a deep level, they were giving him over a 17-year-old Zakein. He had wisdom. But a 17-year-old, putting him with Yishma'ilim, who are going down to Egypt, which, as the Gemara tells us, has nine-tenths of Tumah of the world. So what Yehuda did to, to risk for Yosef was much worse than what Reuven did. So on a, in a important level to take with us is that whenever we're in doubt and sometimes we're in a no-win situation, we're in a lose-lose situation, and sometimes the risk is a physical risk, sometimes the risk is a spiritual risk, the Torah is letting us know it's smarter to take a physical risk. It's smarter to take a physical risk than a spiritual one. How could this come up? Just for example, what's, somebody's moving to a city, you're unsure which city to move to, a person's uh, taking a job, you know, and there's different, different, you know, in one job, I might make some more money, but there's more spiritual risks involved. And in the other job, I'll be able to make a, a basic living. I'm not going to starve. But, uh, you know, physically, I might not have everything, but spiritually, it's, it's a good environment. It's good. The Torah is letting us know through all these details of what ultimately happens to Reuven and what ultimately happens to Yehuda, how we're supposed to think this through. And this is why, you know, when you go to a tzaddik, you go to somebody who has das tairah, you're like, where do they, like, where does it, where does this, all this come up? Huh? The more you understand what's happening in the storylines and, and not only the mitzvahs the Torah is telling us, but the thinking process of our sages, it really helps guide, like, what we're supposed to be focusing on and what we're supposed to be looking at <coughs> when we're making our day-to-day decisions. And go, just share one more idea. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, we could do that. Um, there you go. Um, so we'll connect the Parsha to Hanukkah a little bit, just a nice, beautiful idea. So the Gemara and Shabbos, 
Chafal of Amral of 21a, the Gemara asks why we have, which miracle specifically is Hanukkah established on? There's so many incredible miracles that took place when, you know, with, under the rulership of the Greeks. And maybe the Gemara is basically asking, is there a specific miracle that's worth celebrating? So the Gemara says that the Chachamim taught us the story of the menorah, the story of the oil. They went in after the war and they found one small jug and it was only enough to last one day. And it lasted eight days, which gets into if the most yeshivish question that everybody's going to be asking on Hanukkah is known as the Beis Yosef's question. All you have to say is the question of the Beis Yosef. All right? There's over a thousand answers to the question of Beis Yosef. There's a new one. There's a new one that we started giving two years ago. Now, the Beis Yosef's famous question is why Hanukkah is eight days and not seven days. It's only, the miracle is only a seven-day miracle. They had enough for one day. So why the miracle was the additional seven days, so Hanukkah should be seven days. That's his question. And there's over... There's thousands of answers. Everybody gives an answer. The newest answer that came up two years ago is due to COVID. That's it. That's, that's the newest. That, that wipes every other answer off the floor. But, uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. But, um, okay. Miraculously, it, it, fine. It lasts for eight days. So, Reb Chaim Shmuel Levitz asks like this. Reb Chaim Shmuel Levitz asks. He says, I don't understand. You know, in the prayer of Alanisim, we say... The Greeks tried stop the Torah learning, stop doing mitzvahs, and incredible things happened. The weak conquered the mighty, and the, the, the many into the few, and there's incredible salvations. A, a little bit of oil, like going eight days, like really? Like this is the whole deal? It's a very strong question. Okay, let's ask another question. This week's Parsha, Parsha by Yeshev. Yosef's brothers, um, when they're deciding when he's in the pit and deciding what to do with him. So they raise their eyes. They see a caravan of Yishma'ilim coming from Gilad. They had the camels, all sorts of spices. They sell Yosef to the Yishma'ilim. And the Medrash tells us, Yalkut Shemaini, the Medrash says that Arabs usually sell things that don't smell good. Skins, sulfur, things that smell bad. They happen to be selling spices. So why were they selling sm- spices, the Medrash asked. The Medrash says, look what Hashem prepared for Yosef HaTzadik. This just happened to be this caravan was selling good smelling stuff on to give him a, a good smelling ride down to Egypt. Oh, mamish, you know, <laughs> now it'll be that'll be great. So Rav Shalav asks, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, he says Yosef, seventeen years old, he's close with his dad. He goes searching for his brother. He's thrown in a pit. His world is crashing everywhere, and now oh, it smells good. <laughs> it smells good, like seriously. So he says he says a beautiful idea. He says if, if if you're willing to look a little deeper into this, we'll find something very practical. And that is that the reach besamim, what is smell? Smell is something that is, comes from outside ourselves. Comes from outside ourselves. And it was at this time where Yosef should have given up hope, where everything, the world was burning, his world at least, was burning all around him, where you could say, Hashem has completely forsaken me. This is that it. That Hashem always, in our times where we're down the most, will give us a little kiss, he calls it. Hashem will give us a little kiss, okay? A little message, a little hint that this is happening, but I'm not gone. I'm not gone. It's not happening because I'm not here. I'm still here. It's just terrible. <laughs> At least in, your, in, in, in our eyes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands that it looks terrible. So, says Rukhanshwalev, it's by it smelling good, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Yosef personally, I'm still here. Not only am I, have I not forsaken you, I'm actually coming down to Mitzrayim with you. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way you're going into Gullus now. 
I'm coming into, into Golis as well. So the, the idea of the spices wasn't just to save Yosef for the bad smell, but to give Yosef an important message that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still, uh, Baruch Hu is still um, taking care of him. And Rav Chaim says, this is the message of the oil as well. It wasn't the greatest miracle. You had the battle and you had the Torah and the mitzvot and everything. In it. And what happens? We're successful. The war is over. We had all the Hatzlacha. Right, all the miracles, everything, and the oil is a secondary miracle. But the answer, so God already did His miracles. Did He have to allow this little jug of oil to last for eight days? He didn't have to do that. Says Chanukah, it was a little extra kiss. So when we celebrate Hanukkah, when we light the menorah of Hanukkah, it's a beautiful idea. It's we're not celebrating the the miracle of the oil, the miracle of light. That's not what Hanukkah is about. It's a miracle that God is always with us. And that even when it seems like he's not, he'll always send us a little kiss. A little, little, that little oil will burn a little more. That those spices will be there for us. That little bit of goodness will always remain with our lives. And that's the, that's the celebration of Hanukkah. Okay, we'll hold it here. We'll hold it a good, nice mark. And uh, we'll pick up at the chef. Go ahead. Didn't Yosef understand that 